Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you all for, for coming this morning and, and joining us for worship here at Bear Creek. Uh, I want to begin with just a few announcements. Uh, you'll see in the bulletin we have growth group this Thursday at the Parsonage. I'll, I'll send out an email to our Thursday group uh, probably tomorrow with the details of dinner and, and everything else, but should be a good good discussion. Looking forward to it again. Uh, this morning we will not have a children's story, but starting next Sunday there's a sign up in the Northex. So if you would be if you would like to sign up for a children's story, please sign up before you go. Uh, we do need someone to sign up for next week, which will be the last Sunday of children's story before we start Advent. Uh, you'll notice on the on the spreadsheet I've put Advent wreath for the Advent Sundays, and so if you sign up for those Sundays, your children's story will essentially be lighting the Advent wreath and talking about the candle, which I will help you with it uh, as as I always do. But if you have any questions about children's story, just let me know. I would happy, be happy to talk to you about it. One more announcement that I have, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Pat for details about our missionary sale last night. Um, trustees and consistory members. Uh, if I could borrow you Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, I want to go over a few things, uh, an idea that, that I've had that I want to go over with you on Tuesday at 7 Consistory members, you may know, it's, it's about our, uh, a possible upward partnership uh, and, and just want to go over some of the details of that with you. So that'll be Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock at the Fellowship Hall. I'll send out a one call now to our consistory and trustee members. But if you have any questions or can't make it, just let me know so that I, I have a, an accurate head count of who will be there and who will be missing. Uh, with that said, Pat, you have the numbers from last night. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other announcements this morning? Yeah. Any other announcements? Am I missing anything? Let me read to you as we begin our worship service. I want to read to you from, from Psalm 130. It is a, a psalm that has been on my mind a lot this week. Um, and it, it, it's just a, a good psalm. It was actually a, one of the song of ascents. Uh, there was several psalms in the 120 to 135 range uh, that Israel sang together as they would ascend to Jerusalem for their yearly festivals. If you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about those festivals and Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. And as Israel would climb the mountain and come up to the city of Jerusalem, they together with one voice would sing these songs of ascent. 
And Psalm 130 is one such song, so I want to read it to you this morning. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Pray with me. Let us begin our our worship service this morning. Father, we thank you for sunshine and warmth. Thank you for winter. We thank you that in all seasons you are faithful. Father, as we gather this morning, we gather with the hope, with the belief, with the the faith that you have forgiveness. That you, in you, there is plentiful redemption for us. So, Father, as we gather this morning in worship, we come seeking your presence, seeking your face, seeking your voice and your word. So, Father, would you bless us? Would you bless this time? Would you be near to us as we gather together in your presence? Would you teach us how to worship you in spirit and in truth? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you will, let us sing together in worship. Our first hymn is hymn 71. Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Please stand and sing.
you will remain standing in the front of your hymnal as a copy of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we say this creed every week because it is truth, but more than that, because we forget. And this creed, saying it aloud, helps us to remember what it is that we believe as God's people. And so I invite you, church, if you believe it, to say the Apostles' Creed with me this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. continue singing. Our next hymn is hymn 589. O Master, let me walk with thee. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> now, Karen is, is taking our young ones down. Uh, if we have any young ones for and under that would like to, to join Karen downstairs, they are welcome. 
Uh, there's an entrance here. If you're, if you're visiting with us, you can go down this way. There's also an entrance from the back that you can go down. But if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to grab them and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there, I'm sure there might be one on your phone. Or if not, there's a blue one on the end of your pew. Feel free to grab one of those uh, and turn with me to the fifth book of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. We have been slowly making our way through this book together. Uh, we will do this, uh, stay in Deuteronomy this morning. We will be in it again next week. But after that, as we start the Advent season, we will press pause on our Deuteronomy series and move into uh, John, the Gospel of John, specifically looking at, at chapter 1 for our four Sundays of Advent together. So this morning we are looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16. We're looking at the end of, of 16, and verse, starting in verse 18, and going all the way through uh, chapter 17, verse 13. Hear the, the word of the Lord this morning. <clears throat> you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice. And only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah beside the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make. You shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you, Within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have forbidden, and it is told you, and you hear of, that, hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses, or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, one kind of legal right and another, or one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God will choose. And you shall come to the, to the Levitical priest and to the judge who is in office in those days. And you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. 
so you shall purge the evil from Israel. And all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Let us seek the Lord's help in understanding his word this morning. Father, we, we know that you are good. We know that you are just and fair, that you are righteous and true. But Father, we cannot use those same words that describe you to describe us. For we are not those things. So as we come to your word with broken hearts, with sinful hearts, with clouded minds, now we pray that your spirit would move and open us to see and to believe. God, help me give strength to my voice this morning. Help me to speak your word in truth and in boldness. That your name would receive all the glory from your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here we are at mid-November of 2021. The new year, once again, is right around the corner. And I was thinking this week, and if if we're honest, the, the last two years, year and a half, two years, have been less than ideal. Might be the, the best way to put it. We've had, we've had COVID-19, a, a, a pandemic, a global pandemic, and, and that would be bad enough on its own, but we've also had to deal with mask mandates and vaccine mandates and social distancing and controversial treatments and disagreements on every site and every corner. We live in a world where everyone's right and everyone's wrong all at the exact same time. Then we had racial injustice with men like Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd suffering horrendous tragedies. And not only were their deaths a tragedy, the events that came following their death also became tragic. As cities burned, demanding for for justice and then we had the election at the end of 2020, which that was fun. Can't wait to do that again. And then the, the January 6th debacle, which it really doesn't matter what party affiliation you, you line up with. You can't look at January 6th and say that wasn't a nightmare for everybody. Our Capitol building storm, democracy threatened. It was horrendous, awful, tragic. And I mean, these are just four events from the last two years, and really we could probably double or even triple this list and continue going. But now that you're all really nervous about the rest of this sermon, let me point you to a word that has come up over and over and over again over the last two years, especially as it comes to these issues that have arisen. We've seen this word over and over, and we've heard it, to me, we've heard this word more in the last two years than we've heard any other time recently. And that word is justice. Justice. It seems we all long for justice. We, We want justice. Everybody wants justice, even if we don't really know what that justice looks like. We want it. And this passage that, we, that I've just read to you, this passage is about justice. 
It is about God providing a structure for the pursuit of justice to his people Israel. And this is God saying, if you want justice, this is how you pursue it. And I want to give you this morning from this passage five, five truths about justice. Showing you why justice is so desperately longed for. And how justice is ultimately satisfied. So truth number one about justice. Justice is necessary because evil is real. Justice is necessary because evil is real. Now we have different types of justice in our world today. We have social justice, environmental justice, racial justice, legal justice, distributive justice, procedural justice, on and on and on we go. Justice, justice, justice. But no matter the specifics of of what justice we're talking about, justice in all forms only exists because there is injustice, because there is evil. Our world is, is broken in any number of ways, and justice, true justice, works to correct that brokenness, to undo injustice. We see in our passage that twice we are given the, the same phrase, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. This is what justice is doing. Justice works to remove evil from the midst of the people. Purge. Get rid of it. Extract it. Now, for example, we, we know this is, is true because we, we don't need social justice if everyone is treated fairly with the same access to the same freedoms and liberties and provisions that other people get. But because this is not true for all people at all times, then justice is called for. Justice is demanded. Justice is necessary. See, we all, we all want justice. I don't think I have to convince any of you here that you desire justice. You desire it. I mean, you can find any person on any street, in any city, in any place in the world, and ask them if they think that justice is needed, and I would almost be willing to bet the house that they would say yes and do so emphatically. Absolutely we need more justice. See, the issue isn't whether or not we think justice is a good thing. The issue is the standard of which we measure justice. Up until the last 100 years, really, the standard of all legal systems and the standard of justice has been intrinsically tied to a religious moral code which has been given by some divine lawgiver. I mean, some divine existence, whether it's God or Brahma or Allah, some, some divinity has given people how to live rightly, this, this standard of, of laws, the standard of rules, and what to do when those laws and rules are broken. But ever since the dawn of modernity, and, and now we live in a postmodern or a late modern world, mankind has been working to remove any and all aspects of religion. There's no God, there's no divinity, there's no spiritual life, there's nothing outside the material world that matters. Faith is, at best, a private matter, left only to you and to your family and to your household, and at worst, faith is irrelevant altogether. It means nothing to anybody. This is the world that we now live in, and and I hope that you begin to see the problem here. Because we all want justice, we all want the world to be set right, but who determines what that right will be? Or on what basis can we even say that the current state of our world is broken or wrong? 
is if we don't have a, an agreed-upon moral standard, a standard that has been set outside of us, above our pay grade, then we're all arguing for justice, but no one knows what we're arguing for. I mean, here's the truth. No matter your faith or spiritual background, no matter whether you're a Christian, secular, atheist, atheist, humanist, universalist, or somewhere in between, you turn on the news and you tell me that evil is not real. I mean, look at the, the suffering of the world. Millions dying or starving and dying of curable diseases. Villages being destroyed by something that hasn't been an issue in other places around the world for decades. We have murderers, traffickers, and thieves walking free while innocent men and women rot behind bars. You can't tell me that the world is not broken. That we do not live in an unjust world. And better yet, go to a funeral and tell me that things are as they should be. Our, our hearts cry out. Your heart cries out from places that you didn't even know exist. And that place is crying out, demanding, desiring justice. We want it all to be set right again. Someone to fix it. Somehow to, to get this undone because we know evil is real. And if we agree that evil is real, that, that brokenness is the status quo of our world, we must also agree that there is some standard by which we all understand evil. And if evil is real, then justice is necessary. Justice is necessary because evil is real. Truth number two. Justice is procedural because it must be protected. Justice is procedural because it must be protected. You see, we all desire justice. We have different ideas of how we go about finding it and pursuing it. The lawyer finds justice in protecting his clients. The judge pursues justice by upholding the law. Police pursue justice in their pursuit of criminals. Vigilantes pursue justice at their own hands. We all have different ways of pursuing and obtaining justice. And though a standard of justice may exist, the way to achieve it varies. And so the majority of our passage here is, is devoted to teaching Israel this process a procedure by which justice can be pursued and protected. We're given in, in verses 21 down through uh, the end of 16, the very beginning of 17, we're given really three hypothetical violations of the law. God says you, you can't plant an Asherah tree or a pillar next to an altar of the Lord. That's in 21 and 22. Then in verse 1 of chapter 17, we have an offering, someone making an offering of an unworthy animal as a sacrifice to the Lord. That is a, an ox or a bull or a lamb with a spot or blemish, something that is unworthy of Yahweh. And then we have in verse 3 this worshiping of other gods, which, are, which include but are not limited to the sun, moon, and stars. Now, all three are, are violations of the first commandment. These are not new commandments. God has already, has, has already explicitly commanded previously in Deuteronomy, don't do these things. But as we see, they're a violation of, of the first commandment. You, you shall have no other gods before me. Because in planting an Asherah tree or a pillar next to the altar, Israel would be worshiping Yahweh at the altar and something else. Or in offering a, a animal that has a blemish, they would be worshiping Yahweh as 
less than he is, giving him something unworthy of him because he is not what they think he is. But then we have worshiping false gods, and that is worshiping really anything not Yahweh. All three violate this first commandment. They're not new. And so the purpose, the reason that they're put here in Deuteronomy 16, 17 is not to give some new commandment, but really to show what we should do, what Israel should do when these violations occur. A kind of worst case scenario example of the legal code. What happens if somebody plants an asherah tree? What happens if someone worships another god? What do we do? And so for Israel, we're given this process of justice and i'm sure you'll notice similarities to our own just listen to the the way things work out we see in verse four the crime is reported he says it is told someone does this and it is told to you and you hear of it first report of the crime and then the crime is investigated again in verse four you shall inquire diligently search it out find out if if the rumors the reports are true gather investigation gather evidence do an investigation And this investigation would include multiple eyewitness accounts. One eyewitness is not sufficient. You need two or three minimum. And after the investigation is done, if it's true and certain, in verse 4 and 5, if it's true and certain that such an abomination has been done, there we have a verdict declared. Guilty or not guilty. And if if the verdict is guilty, then we see the sentence given out. You shall bring out that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. It's worth noting as well that it's the eyewitnesses, the two or three eyewitnesses that stand and testify against the the criminal, the person accused of this crime. The eyewitnesses are the ones who throw the first stones. And the reason that this is done this way is because it is on account of their testimony that the verdict of guilty has been proclaimed. And so if they've lied, if they've manipulated the system, if they've tried to pervert the system of justice so that they could come out on top, by throwing the first stone, they are no longer liars, they are murderers. They have killed an innocent person because they threw the first stone. Now, this, this process of justice, it actually may seem a little bit ordinary to us. We're used to this. This is how it should work in our society. Crime is reported. Police do an investigation. They're brought to a court. There's a jury. There's a judge. Verdict is given. Sentence meted out all according to plan. But consider why this process is in place not only for Israel but also in our own country. Why do we have a legal system? Why do we have the system that we do? And it is simply to protect justice to protect it go back to the beginning of our our passage at the end of chapter 16 verse 19 consider these restrictions that are put on this process you shall not pervert justice you shall not show partiality you shall not accept a bribe because a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous should any one of these events occur in a court case then justice is done it's removed. It's a dream. Certainly not a reality. I mean, not only should we trust the systems that God has ordained for the pursuit of justice, we should also be careful about our own tendencies to skirt justice, to get around it. I mean, how many times has justice been stolen because of partiality 
or as we like to call it, racism. I mean, think of the the civil rights era, the Jim Crow laws. I mean, we cringe when we think about this time in our, our country's history. But are these things not still prevalent among us? How many countless bribes have ripped justice out from under the legs of the innocent? How many cases recently have been tried not in a court of law, but in the court of public opinion? Before an impartial jury can ever take the stand and can ever hear the case, the public has already declared guilt. Is this justice? If justice can be so easily perverted, so easily twisted, so easily undone, then we must be intentional about protecting it. Do not get caught up in the pursuit of justice that ignores this process. A process that God instituted. Because by ignoring this process, we too are guilty of perverting justice, of removing it. And so we must respect and trust this process. Because justice comes through a process. It is procedural. And the reason it's procedural is because it must be protected. Justice is procedural because it must be protected. Truth number three. Justice is limited because man's knowledge is limited. Justice is limited because man's knowledge is limited. We know from our own system that certain cases can be complicated. That not every court case is a cut and dry, guilty, not guilty, next case, please. And this is why we have higher levels of courts, going all the way up to the Supreme Court. And so it was for Israel. You see in in chapter 17, verses 8 through 13, that we're given these, these details on how cases could be escalated to a higher court. So if a a local town's court, if their judges and officers couldn't decide on the exact case or couldn't couldn't really deal with it because it was too complicated or too difficult for them, then the process allowed for them to send it up the ladder. And this higher court that was in all over Israel, this higher court was in Jerusalem. And it was not just a judge who had made a career in the courts. It was not just somebody who ran for office and now gets to sit on the, on the seat. No, this was taken to a court and judged in the very presence of God. You notice that God says, I want you to bring it to the priest and to the judge who is in office at that time and bring it to the place that the Lord your God will choose. This is, in Deuteronomy, a phrase we've seen over and over again. It is always in reference to the temple. This is God saying, if you have a case that's too difficult, I want you to bring it to the temple. And bringing it to the temple was the same thing as bringing it before the throne of God and saying, God, decide this for us. I mean, the seriousness of the crime, the seriousness of this pursuit of justice was intensified because here the criminal, the witnesses, the judge, and, and, and the priest now stood in the presence of God to declare guilt or innocence. And the blessing of this was that God was was providing a way for justice to be pursued even when it seemed difficult, even when the case was cloudy. And the blessing that God gives here is is that he would provide wisdom and insight into these proceedings because he himself would be there and allow the truth to come out. You see, when our knowledge, when, when our insight is limited, his is not. 
God always knows the truth of every court case. He always knows the truth of every crime. He always knows it all. He sees all, knows all, and he always acts according to justice. Always. God has never done an unjust thing, ever. And he never will. So whether you're a judge presiding over a case or a parent trying to determine the truth behind your teenager's words, there's hope. Because God promises to give wisdom to those who ask him for it. He gives discernment. He gives insight. All we need to do is ask. Because, yes, this is a blessing where Israel was able to come into the presence of God and receive wisdom, there is also a higher weight given to this case. Whatever the verdict was given, whatever sentence was was called for, Deuteronomy is very clear, it must be carried out exactly the way it is given. Because you see, the crime itself is an evil thing. Yes, we, we agree that the criminal should, be, should pay for what they've done. The crime is evil. But Deuteronomy makes clear, not following through, not enacting justice, not punishing the criminal for what they deserve is equally evil. And if the criminal deserves death and someone says, no, we're not going to give them death, then the person that decided that should be put to death. This is how serious this pursuit of justice done in the presence of God in his temple was. If the priest and the judge in the temple says, guilty, he deserves death, and you decided no, then you also deserve death. See, I think we have a a desire for justice, and we want justice to be done. We want the evil to pay for what they've done, unless it involves us. Unless it involves our family members or our loved ones or even people that look like us and are like us. Maybe then there should be a way that justice can be excused for a day. See, justice becomes harder when it's about us. It's easy when it's about someone else receiving justice. We absolutely want it then. But if we're the ones guilty and we're the ones deserving justice, How often do we look for loopholes in the system? See, not only is our our knowledge of cases limited, as we see where we need higher courts and we need God's wisdom, our, our ability to enact justice is also limited. The extent of the justice that we can accomplish is limited. Because let me ask you, can can any sentence undo the crime? Can any punishment actually fix the wrong and make it as if it never happened? Someone steals your car and crashes it. They can pay to replace it, sure. But what if we're talking about murder? Is there any sentence that you can give to a murderer that will undo the crime, that will bring the dead back to life? I mean, even in death penalty situations... Can taking the life of a murderer give back the life of the victim? No. You see, we know that while while justice is important and it's necessary, it's important for the good of society, there is no amount of justice at the hands of mankind that can ever fully fulfill the measure of justice that you and I so deeply crave. There's no sentence that can meet that desire. There's no, no court case 
that can satisfy that longing. And it was the same for Israel. Do you think that if Israel stoned every idol worshiper among in Israel's people and population, do you think that they could truly and fully purge the evil from their midst? Of course not. Now, justice at the hands of men is, is limited. And we need something. We need someone more. Truth number four. Justice is satisfied because Christ has died. Justice is satisfied because Christ has died. You see, we've been longing for justice for a very long time, from the very beginning as, as humanity. We have been waiting for someone to finally come and crush the head of that evil serpent, to right that very first wrong that caused all the other wrongs. See, what we need is a judge, a judge above all other judges, a judge who will not be pulled away by partiality or bribery, a judge who will not pervert justice, not even a little bit. We need a judge who is not just good, but wholly good, perfectly righteous, for only a judge who is perfectly righteous can judge righteously. We need a judge who is truly powerful enough to Correct every injustice. We need one who's powerful to rightly punish every evil. This is what we need. We need a judge like this. And we have it. Because we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the righteous judge that we desire. He is truly God, which means he is pure, he is undefiled, he is holy and righteous altogether. He has never spoken a lie, half-truth, or omitted a single aspect of any truth, ever. He holds within himself the power to judge, for he is creator. He holds within him the power to heal every sickness, because he is healer. He has the power to forgive any sin, forgive any injustice, forgive any mistake, because he is both just and justifier. That's good, that's great news. We have a judge that we need. The bad news is that you and I want a judge like this. We need, we long for a judge like this. And we want him to come in and and punish the evildoer, to remove the unjust, to wipe out the wicked. But where does that leave you? Do you really want him to wipe out every injustice and every evil deed, every evil thought and attitude? Or just the ones that everyone else has? I mean, do we really want justice, true impartial justice? Or not? Again, Psalm 130 comes to mind as the psalmist cries out to the Lord, If you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? see, the good news to follow that bad news is that this same judge, upholding justice at all times and in every way, knows that the only way to bring about justice is for every person who's ever had an evil thought, who's ever spoken an evil word, or ever done an evil deed. Everyone who's ever violated God's law must die. For that alone is justice. It's the only way to make things right. 
you can almost imagine that courtroom. There you stand. Your, your crimes being called out one by one by one. And you know that you've committed each and every one. There's not a single false accusation being made against you. And the jury gives the verdict. Guilty as charged. And the judge looks at you and says, the sentence for these crimes is death. But then the judge turns and says, but I will take that sentence for you. You deserve to die, but I will die for you. And in this one moment, the perfect judge bears the sentence in the place of an evil criminal. Justice is satisfied, and yet we still live. Justice is satisfied because Christ has died. He's taken the weight. He's taken the punishment. He's taken the wage of your sins, of your crimes. And in doing so, he has satisfied justice. But finally, our fifth truth, justice is pursued because Christ has been raised. Justice is pursued because Christ has been raised. You see, it can't, it can't end with that judge dying. Because if the judge dies and that's the end of it, then justice really hasn't been done because the innocent just died for the wicked and the wicked walked free. Surely we wouldn't say the same thing of our own legal system. If the, if the wicked walk free while the innocent are put in cage, we don't call that justice. But it is still justice in this moment because the innocent, though dying in the place of the wicked, is raised back to life. Having conquered death once and for all, this is justice. Because the innocent, though dying in the place of, of the wicked, has been raised back to life. This is justice. And now the wicked, having been pardoned from all their crimes, celebrate the beauty of the cross. This place where both love and mercy and grace meet with justice. See, it's not only this, but through his resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus, there is this massive hope for our future. Because the resurrection promises that every injustice will one day be righted. I mean, think about it. If death itself can be overturned, then why can't racism? Why can't war? Why, why can't murders and thefts and kidnapping and trafficking all be undone? Not just removed, but as if they never happened, undone. And, you know, knowing this, it, it would be easy for us to kind of sit back and relax and wait for that day to come. Have this mindset of, you know what, God's going to fix everything. Christ is going to come and he's going to undo everything. So I'm just not going to worry about it today. He's going to do it when he comes. It misses the point. If you and I truly believe that Christ has been raised, if we truly believe that the resurrection assures us that justice is coming, then we should also be encouraged to work for that justice today. We know what's coming, so let us pursue it today. Pursue justice today because Christ has been raised. So work to end racism, work to stop trafficking, work to stand up for the innocent, to end abortion, to be a voice for the voiceless, to be an advocate for those who have no advocate, because Christ is your advocate. 
Don't just sit back and let injustice continue in our society while we just wait for Christ to return. We fight for justice because Christ has been raised. The ultimate injustice, the innocent dying for the wicked, has been fixed in the resurrection. Surely all injustice will likewise be corrected. Justice is necessary because evil is real. Justice is procedural because it must be protected. Justice is limited because we are limited. Justice has been satisfied because Christ has died, and it is to be pursued because Christ has been raised. Keller, Tim Keller writes this. He says, we, we need justice in the world. But that presents us with an enormous problem. If there is no judge, what hope is there for us? What hope is there for the world? But if there is a judge... What hope is there for us? But here is a wonder. Jesus Christ is the judge of all the earth who came the first time not with a sword in his hands, but with nails through his hands. Not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment for us. Jesus Christ is the judge who was judged so that all who believe in him can face the future judgment without, with confidence. Excuse me. On that day, because we are pardoned, he will be able to end all evil without ending us. So really, church, the only remaining question before you this morning is, are you trusting in the justice of the cross? Are you placing hope in something else? You want justice? If so, you need Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we do long for justice. We need justice. But justice terrifies us at the same time. Because we know that we deserve justice. And if justice is given to us, we will be crushed by it. Father, our only hope in this pursuit of justice is is in Christ, the innocent dying in the place of the wicked. That is our hope. That is the only hope that humanity has for justice. So, Father, help us to be justice seekers, to pursue justice as you have given it, and to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, our Savior. May we be a people known for justice while we wait for the day where true justice will come and all the injustices be undone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here at Bear Creek, uh, we respond to the preaching of God's word every week by taking communion together. Uh, Ron is at the back if you need a, a... Prepackaged elements. Uh, he is there. Just raise your hand, and he'll he'll bring it to you. I want to give just a, a few words of instruction uh, as we as we come to the table.
if you are a believer, if you are a, a Christian who has placed faith in Christ for forgiveness, for pardon, for new life, whether or not you're a member of the church, you are welcome here. But if that's not you, you maybe you're even unsure if you've placed faith in Christ. And here's the thing. You may be a member of the church and be unsure. Let me encourage you to abstain from taking the table this morning and take Christ instead. Because he alone can save. He alone can satisfy. He alone accomplishes justice on your behalf. This is a wafer and some grape juice. It doesn't save. He does. So take him. Andrew Peterson has a, has a song about, about communion. And in it, he, he says the same line over and over again. He says, every time we gather at the table, we remember and proclaim, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And I can think of no, no greater truth as we come to this table together, church, that these, the, these three things stand true over everything else. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. As we turn to the table, this is what we are to do. We are to remember and we are to proclaim these three truths. So we look to the, the bread and we see the body of Christ. We see the punishment of our sins. We see what it took for justice to occur. The body of Christ broken for you. And in the cup, in the cup we see the blood of our Savior, the symbol of his death. But we also remember that Christ is no longer dead, that he has been raised, that he has ascended to his throne, and one day he will come back. And when he comes, he will come with a sword in his hand and he will come to correct every injustice the world has ever known. And he will ultimately, finally, completely and fully crush the head of that serpent. And there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sadness or sickness ever again. Because the king of justice will come and undo them all. To the king. Let's sing one more hymn together before we close. Our final hymn is hymn 61. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Please stand and sing.
in your bulletin, you'll find uh, printed there at the bottom, the Great Commission. If we gather to remember that Christ is risen, that he has died, that he has risen, that he will come again, the Great Commission gives us the command to go and proclaim. So go and proclaim that justice has been satisfied. Go and proclaim that justice is real and can be pursued. Go and make disciples. So say the Great Commission aloud with me this morning. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.